Good morning. My name is Jerry Schobert. This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 16. The whole congregation of, of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more and some less, but when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. They did not listen to Moses. 
Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want, bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the, to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See? The Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. And so the Lord, and so the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that they may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Hello and good morning. Um, it's been said several times already, but in case you're just tuning in or came in late, uh, you've probably noticed that I am not Ryan. My name is Sarah, and I am the Minister of Children, Youth, and Families here at St. George's United. And Ryan and I have done a bit of a role reversal this morning. He is downstairs teaching the children about the Tower of Babel, which feels a little ironic because uh, I have a bachelor's degree, as you'll see in a little bit. I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics. So I feel much more qualified to teach on the Tower of Babel, which, if you don't know, is the Hebrew origin story for all the different languages of the world. But for some reason, God has called me here 
with you today. And today we find ourselves in the middle of a sermon series about Exodus. As I always remind the kids, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it tells us the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt into the Promised Land. We started this series in September, and we're continuing on until the end of November, so we're about halfway. We've heard stories of Joseph and the early life of Moses and the slavery of the Israelites. And today, as I was reading, it kind of feels like the first real Sunday of freedom for these slaves. Uh, last week, we heard of the Israelites' daring escape from slavery and the hope of God's deliverance for us all. Today, as we heard in our scripture reading, the Israelites find themselves in this new reality as a free people. And it kind of sounds like they are struggling to adjust. And I find it a little bit interesting that they are struggling to adjust because, to be honest with you, I have been struggling to adjust with this Sunday for sharing with you. I really was struggling to write this sermon because it feels like this story, this sermon, is still unfolding even now. And so before we dig more into that, let us pray together. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from you this morning. Prepare our bodies to go where you lead. Prepare our spirits to be uncomfortable. Prepare our voices to call out to you. We say all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So many of you know that I have spent many years, many summers, working in the wilderness at a variety of different Christian camps. And something that I often have to teach youth or young leaders about is sharing their testimony. Sharing your testimony is kind of a quintessential part of going to an evangelical Christian camp. But maybe you've never heard that term before. The idea of having a testimony to share, or in sharing said testimony, is quite popular in the evangelical world, and perhaps in other traditions as well, but I'm speaking from my own experience. Testimonies are kind of seen as a way, um, in some circles, to try and convince someone else to become a Christian. But it's simpler and a lot less manipulative than that. A testimony is exactly what it sounds like, testifying to what you have seen. Just like a testimonial for a business or a product, a Christian testimony is how you have seen God at work in your life. And a few weeks ago, as I was at a young adults group that I gather with, um, we were, I was talking and sharing about testimonies, and I shared that it always seemed like testimonies are in the past tense. God showed me, or God led me through. 
But testimonies are also in the present. God is showing me. God is leading me through. It's happening right now. And that's what we see in the text today, a testimony of the Israelites in the midst of their deliverance from slavery. And hopefully this morning I will be able to share a testimony of God's deliverance in my life, in the present, instead of waiting for my current situation to be fully resolved But before we get to my story, let's remind ourselves of where the Israelites are at, at where their present situation is. I haven't been upstairs. I'm usually by this point downstairs. Um, So I haven't been upstairs for the sermon series. So I want to make sure that we're on the same page with the story so far. And I want to specifically look at the experience of the Israelites, not focusing on Moses or any of the other big players we get a picture of what the Israelites have been going through right at the beginning of Exodus. In chapter 1 and 2, we hear that the Egyptians made the Israelites slaves and that Moses saw how hard the Israelites were forced, for, forced to work, including being subjected to beatings. Later in chapter 2, we hear that this becomes the norm for Isra- the Israelites. They continue to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and knew it was time to act. God is aware of the Israelites' suffering, and God has seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. So he sends Moses to Pharaoh to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But it doesn't go too smoothly. Pharaoh doesn't let the Egyptians go, and because of this request from Moses, Pharaoh actually forces the Egyptians to work even harder. In chapter 5, we hear that the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him, please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. But their complaints were not heard, and they were subject to even harsher conditions. Moses tried to tell the Israelites that God was going to deliver them, but they refused to listen. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of slavery. But then, through miracles, signs, and wonders, Moses convinces Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And upon being given the opportunity, the Israelites take it and run, quite literally. They had lived in Egypt for 430 years, and they were experiencing collective freedom for the first time. But God was sensitive in this time of change. God led them through the wilderness in order to avoid large people groups, because he knew that if the people, the Israelites, were faced with a battle, they may change their mind and return to Egypt. Unfortunately, again, it wasn't smooth sailing for the Israelites, and Pharaoh regretted his decision to let them go, so decided to pursue them through the wilderness. And funnily enough, God was right. As soon as the Israelites saw that they were being pursued and they were faced with the potential of death, they regretted leaving Egypt. They claimed they should have stayed behind because it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. 
But in a miracle that we are all familiar with, God rescues his people by leading them across the Red Sea and removes the threat of the Egyptians. So the Israelites celebrated, singing a song of how in God's unfailing love, God led the people God has redeemed. In God's might, God is guiding them to their sacred home. The Israelites are free. But as we will quickly see becomes a habit, the Israelites don't celebrate for long. Pretty soon, roughly 13 verses or three days later, they are complaining about not having enough water in the desert, but God provides. Which brings us to today's text, where we see the Israelites complaining again, and God providing again. And our text today, Exodus 16, Wow, there is a lot that I could have focused on. The fact that manna is literally named after manna, which are, means what is it? Like, that's just great. Again, the linguist in me loves that. Um, the logic-driven part of me was really struck on the fact that it seems, if you read the text, it seems like Moses and Aaron tell the Israelites of God's provision before God tells Moses and Aaron about God's provision. But the history buff in me was really drawn to the commentary note at the end about what an omer is. That's a little, like, addition um, later on, just so that the people hearing the story could understand its context. Or even the science person in me, like, really want, did, a, did a little bit of a deep dive into, like, what is manna? How does bread appear with dew? Or I could have even tried to convict you and been like, don't complain like the Israelites. Don't be offered freedom and have so much good in front of you and just ignore it and focus on what you don't have. And to be honest, as I was preparing for this week, I went down some of those tangents. But two weeks ago, I had an experience that I would like to share with you. And just like the importance of knowing what brought the Israelites to this point that we find them in the text today, I think it's important for you to know some context for the testimony that I would like to share with you. 25 years ago, I was diagnosed with insomnia. 15 years ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And over the years, that diagnosis has changed to include CPTSD, PTSD, insomnia, and ADHD. The diagnoses that have the biggest effect on my moment-to-moment life are PTSD and CPTSD, and the last 15 years has been a journey living through that reality. Many of you over the past year have been praying for my sleep. My sleep has been very complicated since I was a child. But now I also struggle with regular night terrors as a symptom of PTSD, sometimes having two or three night terrors a night. Earlier this year, there were occasions where I was getting less than 30 minutes of sleep at a time. And thankfully, during that time, there were many people praying for my health and well-being. 
Thankfully, through the miracle of science and modern medicine, my health team in Campbell River has helped me find a mix of medications and lifestyle that has allowed me to sleep peacefully through the night while having little to no effect on my daytime experiences. It has been amazing to experience regular peace and consistent sleep at nighttime, which has been such a source of struggle for so long. Struggle, hurt, and discouragement. And I can't stop praising God for that. Two weeks ago, I was at a worship service at Northgate Church. I enjoy going to their monthly evening worship service since I don't have to worry about work or what's going on with the kids. It just gives me an opportunity to sit and to focus in God and be reminded of God's goodness. And during this worship service, I had a unique experience where it felt like every single song was relating to the Exodus story. And I was like thinking like, wow, this song goes really well with Ryan's sermon today. And I was just feeling like the Spirit was drawing my attention to some parallels between the songs we were singing at Northgate and the scriptures that we were studying at St. George's. But that's not where the parallels ended. Quite suddenly, I had this overwhelming desire to cry out to God because God hears, God sees, and God acts. You see, of all the different potentials that I was preparing and working through that I could have shared about in the text today, I was drawn in this moment to how God reacts to the Israelites complaining. We're so tempted to see the bigger picture and be like, come on guys, you were saved from generations of slavery. Can't you just trust that God has a plan for food? Why not ask what the plan is before starting to whine and complain and grumble about it? But God doesn't have that same reaction. The Israelites are hungry. God hears their cries, sees what they are facing, and provides quail and manna. He responds to their concern with compassion and understanding. God knows that the Israelites are in a season of adjustment after 430 years in Egypt. They are learning new things. And as we all know, it is challenging to learn new things. Last time I preached, I asked you to put up with some of my idiosyncrasies and allow me to preach from the floor. You may notice that I am standing at the pulpit today, and that's because this week I have a different request of you. As I was writing this sermon, there were two songs that were playing on repeat in my head, and I'd like to listen to one together now. And then we're going to sing the second as our sermon response song. So this song is called Where Were You by the Christian worship band Ghost Ship, which is a band based out of Seattle. The lyrics are inspired by the book of Job, specifically chapter 38, if you're wanting to look it up. But the song feels like it relates to this predicament that the Israelites find themselves in. This feeling uncertain of what is going on and crying out to God, making their cries heard. So hopefully, 
God willing. Let's listen to it together. I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He said, where were you the day that I measured? Sunk the base and stretched the line. Although I had no right to ask, my God knelt and answered me. The Israelites have just been freed 
there complaining about being hungry and suggesting that they would have been better off as slaves. But they are forgetting that they cried out under the Egyptians' oppression. Thankfully, God is compassionate and understands that these struggles are hard to go through. The Israels are struggling to adapt because after 430 years of control, they are free. I have heard stories of prisoners in jail actually being afraid of being released. They become so accustomed to the routines of prison life, knowing where they would be fed, where they would sleep, and having a structured daily routine, that the thought of being freed terrifies them. One story I've heard was of a chaplain on a new prisoner wing. The chaplain saw a new prisoner and greeted him with a friendly, hello, back again? Because in reality, it was not a new prisoner. He had been released that very morning. But he didn't know how to live in a free world. He didn't know what to do. And so he resorted to committing a petty crime and taking drugs just to find himself back in prison again. And I'm wondering if this is part of the story about the Israelites. It seems that they are so used to being controlled in Egypt that now that they have their freedom, they are struggling to adjust to the freedom. Because not only are they free, but they are being asked to submit and to trust God. Oppression and submission may feel similar but they are very different. And again, I just think it's so crazy how God provides. God hears their cries, sees their predicament, and God acts. God provides for them. I have heard people preach on this text before of the Israelites complaining and being ungrateful for their freedom and just finding one thing after another to complain about. And often these preachers sort of mock the Israelites and use it as an opportunity to tell the congregation not to complain. But the interesting thing is God isn't critical of the Israelites. In fact, he acknowledged them and answers them. I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them. They will have meat in the evening and bread in the morning. God provided for them. He provided them with just enough. Maybe they would have liked more than enough. Maybe they would have liked a whole buffet of manna, um, bottomless servings of quail. But God knew exactly what each of them needed, and he provided that. God heard their cries God saw their needs, and God acted. And it's not the first time we've seen this. God heard the cries of the Israelites while they were enslaved. He saw the brutality they were enduring, and he decided it was time to act. The people of Israel are God's first family, the same family that we are invited into today. And if Israel's departure from Egypt is a birth, then Israel is now in her period of infancy. We're at the beginning where God is taking his people by the hand and teaching them patiently and lovingly about who he is and what he has in store for them. The story is not just a story of people complaining, but a testimony about how God cares for his people. 
God is leading his people by the hand, going through the various stages of growing up and showing them that it's okay not to have control. It's not like it was in Egypt where they experienced oppression, where their cries were punished. No, in God's kingdom. It's rooted and established in love, and your loving creator is there to hear your cries, to see your pain, and to there to look after you. And you know what? The Israelites had actually stopped hoping. When Moses was trying to convince them that God was acting, they wouldn't listen because they were too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. But God had bigger plans than they could even imagine. So what about us? Well, I'll start with something smaller. What about me? The other day as I was at Northgate in their worship service, and it felt like this whole evening God was pointing out these, how these songs had parallels to the Exodus story. And suddenly in the song just before communion, the Spirit opened my eyes and showed that there were parallels to my story. For so long I have lived under the oppression of PTSD, have lived with night terrors and sleep disturbances. I have prayed for daily sustenance, and God has provided. But that Sunday night, I realized that God wants more for me. He wants freedom. I suddenly had this thought pop into my head. When was the last time you prayed for healing, Sarah? And immediately my response was, no, that's too much. What if I ask for it and I don't get it? But I bet that's how the Israelites felt. I bet that they were tired of slavery and they had stopped hoping. Pharaoh didn't listen to their anguish. But when God brought them out of the land of oppression, he listened to their cries. So maybe I should cry out too. And I'm starting to. I have asked my friends to pray for healing. I have asked loved ones to petition on my behalf. I have not yet started praying for healing for myself, but I'm taking those steps. Just as the Israelites were learning to trust God, they were learning through experience that in crying out, God answers. And I believe that God is showing me that as well. He has answered my prayer for daily need, for getting this far. But that Sunday, I felt God reminding me that he wants freedom for me. He will answer my cries, and it will be enough. The song that we were singing that evening is a song called No Longer Slaves. The chorus says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And just as the Israelites were freed from slavery, we have been freed from fear through the love of Jesus. In Romans 8, it says that you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit, and he has adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And so my question for you today is, what have you become a slave to? How have you become a slave to fear? What have you become too discouraged by that you have given into and accepted as reality? Perhaps there are personal struggles, depression, financial limitations, medical diagnoses. 
Perhaps you're discouraged by the problems of homelessness and hopelessness in our city. Or perhaps you've turned on the news, seen the headlines on your phone, and you are discouraged by the horrific wars, the earthquakes, the floodings. Maybe you did not know what you needed to cry out to God for. But the beautiful thing is there's an answer to that. And that answer comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groaning that cannot be expressed in words. So we're going to conclude this message with the song, No Longer Slaves. And we're going to go right into this song because I think that it's a continuation of this message rather than a reflection on it. Following this song, there will be a brief pause as Ryan usually pauses for us to ponder and reflect what God is saying to each of us. But for now, let us practice crying out. Let's practice trusting that God will hear us see our need, and act, just like he did with the Israelites, providing manna and bread and quail. Because we are no longer slaves, whose cries go unanswered, who get punished for complaining. We are children of God, and when we cry out, God hears, God sees, and God acts. I would invite you to stand with me I have the pleasure of leading this song, and it's going to sound maybe a little bit different um, than many of our songs that we sing, Um, but I think it has the choir, the St. George Singers seal of approval. And this song, we're going to start with, if we can get the first lyric on, just a simple crying out. I love this song because there are O's in it. And we are going to cry out when we don't have the words. And it goes like this. Sorry, I forgot I have to sing into this mic. My, my guitar wasn't on. David, is that on now? Yeah, perfect. Okay. Let's do those O's once more, and then we'll go into the chorus of I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear. Oh, oh. I'm no longer a slave 
Till all my fears are gone. 